Good evening, morning, afternoon, delete as applicable, and welcome to the Sitcom Club. I'm Mooncat, joining me this week is your old pal Ocho. Hello. How you doing? Alright. Are you feeling festive yet? Not quite yet, no, it hasn't kicked in, even though I've already seen the Disneyland Christmas Parade for this year. Ah, I see, I see, I see. Now when does that get launched? Is that something they do on the back of Thanksgiving? They do it every day. Eh, what? I think they started before Thanksgiving. Oh, you mean, oh, you mean, I, I oh, cause, I mean, I forgot you were in a position to actually go to Disneyland. I thought you were talking about something that was on the televisuals. No, no. But you mean in, in I've, I've already seen the Disneyland Christmas Parade once. I'll probably see it a couple more times, incidentally, while I'm just visiting for a walk. Now, is this something they do once a day, or is this on the hour, every hour, or, or what? It's definitely at least 2.30pm most days, and I think sometimes it's 2.30pm and 5.30pm. It's a little bit different from last year's. I see. I noticed that they bring some elements in, drop some other elements. Do they have Stanley and Helen Roper as part of their cast of characters in the parade? Sadly, no. Oh, damn it! Stanley and his plunger just waving to all the all the applauding fans. <laughs> what was that? It's not likely, you... is it? What was that? We've got... No, we've got to tell people about what you found on YouTube the other day. We've got our fingers on a fair few internet-related pies when it comes to tracking down rare material, but we have not been able to find the full episode, unfortunately. But all the Ropers-related material is on YouTube, and it's... I'm going to say Perry Como. That's not right, is it? Who is it? Pat Boone. Oh, yes, of course. Pat Boone. And it's one of his big holiday spectaculars, and he must have been part of the ABC family, I guess, and presumably it's Christmas 79, because joining us for our festive foot nanny are the Ropers from that successful hit ABC comedy show. And there they are. In the opening titles, though, the woman who plays Helen, who's called Audra something... Is it Audra Lindley, is it? Might well be. Is not in costume. Well, she's not in costume for the sketch, at all. No. So I've got this feeling that it might be a really awkward... Have you ever seen that thing they do after... I think it's after the last episode of Upstairs Downstairs. Russell Harty interviews them. And it's painfully awkward as everybody's not entirely sure if they're in character or not. I haven't. I haven't so seen everybody gets a bit non-committal in their answers because <laughs> they're not sure if they're supposed to just go, oh, great to hear you, Russell. I'm definitely Simon Williams, the actor, and not whatever the hell is the name of the character I play, they sort of hover about. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I have some faint feeling that Simon Williams keeps looking at Russell Hardy contemptuously. <laughs> well, I don't think that would have been a unique situation. <laughs> but what, what Russell Hardy should have done is got on to interview Simon Williams in character on the set of Kinvig. <laughs> And then even if Simon Williams was looking at him contentiously, he wouldn't have known, because he isn't actually aware that it's Simon Williams anyway. He just thinks... Edwin Richfield in that episode of Doctor Who, where sadly he doesn't do one of his trippers. Oh, tripper, damn it. Tripper's day. Sorry, it sounded like I said he, like he does a stripper, which is it would be <laughs> not any less embarrassing. than. But also, speaking of YouTube finds, we said last time about the Ropers in Three's Company that Stanley turns and almost looks down a camera. And we thought that was an accident. I'm not so sure now because you found another incident <laughs> where he gets a punchline and he just looks right in the camera. The camera zooms up <laughs> to the get his reaction. The best thing about that is that I don't know if YouTube has changed the way that you upload videos now because it's been a while since I uploaded one and I seem to remember that I was given a choice of thumbnails randomly selected but it looks like now you can choose precisely which thumbnail you want and that was the one that they've chosen for the thumbnail so that's what attracted me to the clip in the first place. The clip's 30 seconds long and the setup to his punchline is about 28 seconds and I'm sitting here looking at this thinking when's he going to look? When's he going to look? He hasn't looked yet. And then in the very last second he just looks straight in the lens and said this is what you came for isn't it? You want to see it don't you? Here it is. Hey. <laughs> Catching up with the Thanksgiving edition I feel kind of bad about how nasty we were about who's the boss. All those people put all that work into it and we let's face it the internet is full of people just going, this sucks. You don't have to look very far on YouTube to find the raging geek who just talks over the top of other YouTube clips. <laughs> well, what I would say to that is, 
and I would hope that in the course of all of the shows that we've done this year, that this has come across. But just in case it hasn't, I mean this most sincerely, folks. As far as I'm concerned, it's taken as read in everything that we say that we've got immense respect for every single show that we watch because every show that we look at and discuss on this show is something which has made it to network television. So we're not sitting here talking about like funny uploads to daily motion or something like that do you know what i mean there's a certain standard by which it's got to be half decent if it actually got onto the screen so even if we're maybe hypercritical of something that's always there in the background we know that this is good to an extent we know this is going to be a lot of people's cup of tea and just because we don't like it you know we're not trying to bomb it out for anybody else but you know you know what i'm trying to say it's like I don't think that the, the makers of Who's the Boss are going to be remotely offended by anything that the two of us have got to say about it. It's just I was opinion. worried about the fans coming after us, to be honest. I was worried about reprisals. Well, hang on. You're talking about the Who's the Boss fan contingent as if they are... They're not Doctor Who fans. And by that, I mean in terms of size. I'm not putting Doctor Who fans down. Don't get all... I'll go on. Do it no, a little. Don't, you know don't you get all to. upset. I don't watch it. I've never watched it. I've got no intention of watching it. How's that? I mean, that in itself... I don't need to say anything more than that. I mean, that in itself is an offensive statement for some of the more active members of the Whovian community, I suppose. Hunt me down, if you so wish, and put the, the curse of... I don't know Doctor Who titles. Give me something out of Doctor Who. The Green Death, is that one of them? The, yes, the, that's one. That's the one with That'll the That'll do it. Fine, okay. Give me the Green Death. Give me the curse of the Green Death. Let me turn into a plant. I think you just turn green and die. I'm not okay, sure. fine. Yeah, bitten by a maggot. Actually, do you know what? That sounds rather unpleasant. I'm not really sure that I want to have that after all. I was going to say that that doesn't sound like one of David Nixon's best tricks. I'd rather he actually <laughs> turned me into a plant than just says, well, like I'm going to put a maggot on you and I'm going to let it bite you. Ha ha, see? <laughs> that's not a magic trick. That's just cruelty. Anyway, so yes, I think I can speak for all of us that are on the sitcom club when we say that we do actually genuinely respect every single one of the shows that we talk about because like except for lots that, of luck i i like dom de louise i do like him i mean i'm not oh, a yes. fan of that show but, but that doesn't make it no, a good he's, show he's superb. No. let's face it carl reiner knows what he's doing most of the time well yes indeed and again i don't think that carl reiner is i would, I would be quite worried actually if carl reiner really was upset by anything that we could say i don't think that anybody should get upset by anything that we say you know okay right, now i'm gonna get annoyed about something are you going to say something that's going to upset Carl Reiner? Because if you do, then you know you're well, going not, to. Have to it's nothing. It shouldn't be any of his business. You know the man about the house we watched and the film snob, and he meets a, a female film snob. And I know what you're going to say here. I know it's coming. Isn't that annoying when people say that and and and, and spoil everybody else and say, "Oh, this is a, this is a good gag. I know what's coming here. This is good." Sorry. And we're supposed to be on Chrissy's side. Okay, he is being kind of pretentious, but it does bother me a bit that knowing things is seen as... Well, I, th I think that's why we have something of the culture we have now. But anyway, so she's supposed to be a female film snob. She can't pronounce Abel Gans. She says Abel Gans. So throw her out of the female film snob society. Ah, uh, you just stepped over the line there. Because you said, I don't know if you, you did it wittingly, but you just said female. They have two separate societies. That's what she's in. She's in the female film snob society. That's her role within that show. She couldn't pronounce... What is it? Ava Gardner? Is that who she got wrong? Abel Gantz, director of Napoleon. No, okay, okay. Just, just for the benefit of... It's not me. This is, this, is, this is for everybody else. Just for the benefit of everybody else who may not know this, is that uh, a he or she? That's a guy. I a French already, guy. I have already admitted to being a complete and utter philistine when it comes to the arts. You see, if Chris so, mispronounced it, I'd be fine. But when the film snob mispronounces it, it bugs me. It's almost like they didn't do hours of workshopping and research to get this Man About the House episode just right. It's almost like they cast somebody who's only going to be in one scene and have three lines, somewhat carelessly. Yeah, and also without being... I mean, I'm talking I'm talking about myself as a potential audience member here. It's an ITV production as well. So Home of the South like Bank show in Aquarius. Come on, they got no excuse. Oh, no, that's the weekends. This is not the weekend. This is midweek. It's midweek, and after Man About the House is going to be a new episode of Bastard Squad, and then you've got midweek sports special at half past ten. And that's my kind of evening. If you want to be on BBC Two about it, then you can switch over and watch the French Ballet. So that's it. That, that's all the outstanding business I can think of. 
Well, actually, there's a lot more outstanding business than that. Simon Dunn sends his lovely tweet with regard to the Thanksgiving episode of Second Club. Thank you very much indeed for that, Simon. And G Baker has been in touch with us to give us a mailbag item. Now, we do mailbags occasionally, and I could have held this one over, but it's such a good question, such a good topic, that I'm going to unleash it right here, right now. And this could end up, I mean, we could end up in a, to use Red Dwarf speak, a double Polaroid situation with regard to this podcast. You know, we may have to do it in two, but we'll see how it goes. Anyway. G says, thank you for the follow on Twitter. You may have already covered this, but do you think cast changes in sitcom work as a rule? Also, do you think it works when a character undergoes an actor change? For example, goodnight, sweetheart. Now, this is a belter of a question. Because I said to you, self on the Skype just before we started, I've been sitting here for the past few minutes just scribbling down as many examples as I could think of with regard to cast changes. But I'll throw it over to yourself first of all. We can play cast change tennis if you fancy it. Give me give me a cast change in a sitcom. Or, or drama if you prefer. That guy in the last original series of The Fallen Rise of Reginald Perrin, Tim Priest is replaced with somebody who's not Tim Priest, And it doesn't work. And the actor who was doing it said himself it doesn't, it didn't work. He's in the situation of not just playing the character. He's playing Tim Priest playing the character. And you can kind of tell that he's not happy as he's doing it. Leslie Schofield. Oh, yes. Yeah, I like Leslie Schofield. Plays Tom Patterson in the third series of Reginald Perrin. Yes, he's really good in Smoking Room. Oh, he's ordinarily fine as an actor. I I don't know. It's almost watching it. Again, it's been a good long while since I've watched it. But you can almost tell that he's not having a good time. Well, it is quite a difficult ask, isn't it? It's one thing when you're tasked with bringing a character to life but also if you're asked to it's not necessarily that you've been asked to play the role exactly according to the previous actor you can't stray too far unless you're very sure of yourself yeah you can't do a complete about face unless that's the way that the the writers have intended that character to go in terms of their direction whereas of course the big recast in goodnight sweetheart i think worked fine We'll come to that in just a moment, because that actually falls into the second category. That's a recasting of existing characters with new actors. Now, that one you gave us there, that's that's an example of that instance. But in the first instance, recasting in a sitcom, in a long-running sitcom as a rule. One I had scribbled down here, I guess, would be an obvious example in terms of the prominence of the character would be Heidi High, where you have Simon Goodell, as Jeffrey Fairbrother from the beginning, I think until the end of series four, I think it is. And at that point, he leaves and is replaced in his role by squad leader Clive Dempster, played by David Griffin. And that's an example where cast member leaves, you have to get somebody new in. You want to try and avoid comparisons with the person who's come before. We've spoken previously about the example that Alan Boyd gave when... He was tasked with finding a replacement for Bruce Forsyth in the Generation game. He chose Larry Grayson for exactly that reason, because he was somebody who couldn't be easily compared to Brucey. Where you've got Jeffrey Fairbrother, he was in an unusual situation, trying to do his best to cope with it. He was uneasy, but he got by and eventually you know, he won over his staff and they appreciated the effort that he put in. Clive Dempster comes in. And he's quite a different character. He is more cunning. He's more willing to, shall we say... Commit murder. I don't remember that episode. Sorry, but... no, I started imagining a better version. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't necessarily do things by the book. And whereas I suspect that Jeffrey Fairbrother would take quite a bit of convincing if he was being asked to do something that was even remotely underhand, Clive Dempster wouldn't really have too many qualms. He's somebody who just wants to get things done. He doesn't really mind how he goes about doing it. Fans of the show will have their own opinion about who they prefer. And I know a lot of people didn't like it when Simon Cadell left because he's such an integral part of the show. But again, you couldn't replace him with Simon Cadell light. There's no point in doing that. And even then, it's, it's sort of stretching the truth somewhat. I mean, we've all worked in places where you get change of manager, change of line manager, whoever it is, the chances you're going to get somebody exactly the same as the person who came before him is pretty slight. So in that regard, it it actually stays fairly close to the truth. Well, the thing is, when they did, I can't remember 
which documentary strand it was, or even if it was part of one of the regular documentary strands. There was a doco on Croft and Perry done sometime in the 90s, and they told the story of their work in such a way that it made it look like Heidi High ended as soon as Simon Cadell left. So I guess that (laughs) indicates how much confidence somebody somewhere had in David Griffin. And he got three series out. Sorry, that that almost sounds like, oh, (laughs) they had his number. Um, I'm not saying anything against David Griffin as an actor, apart from the fact that he was in Keeping Up Appearances. I'm sure he was fine. There were three series with him. It's just interesting that somebody somewhere felt they had to rewrite history. I'm guessing because of the reception of the change of character. Again, it could be one of those situations. We've talked about it before in documentaries and particularly documentaries which are fairly tight on time sometimes they can take liberties i guess with the time line of events and sometimes even if it's not stated overtly just by the type of clips that they use and little snippets of interviews they use and so on they can sometimes leave you with a particular impression that isn't actually the case and then people go around defending it on message boards go oh, well i thought it was very entertaining yeah, but if, if you're purporting to represent events that happened... Oh, never mind. Sorry. The one set me off. <laughs> so Oliver Stone. Anyway, no. So I'm going to throw it back over to yourself. Give us another example then of some malarkey majarkey when it comes to casting. Peter Vaughan being replaced with Tony Steedman in Citizen Smith. I thought yes. that did kind of weaken I agree. Yeah. the character. And again... It's not, you know, no flies on Tony Steedman. It's not like he doesn't have the acting chops, but he's trapped in a similar situation. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that's, is it exactly halfway through? Is that after two series and there's not two series to go? Yeah, it did lose something for myself when I was watching the repeats on Gold about two, three years ago. I mean, I really like Peter Vaughn anyway. I've spoken before, I spoke last week about Roy Kinnear, I spoke about Patrick Cargill. Again, Peter Vaughn's just one of those people that draws my attention to the screen when they're there. Have you been watching Game of Thrones show. then? Cause no, no, I honestly... I missed I, to find out he's in it. Oh, this is this is the outrageous thing. I have never seen Game of Thrones. No, neither have I. And Not my cup of tea, but yeah. yeah I was I, I'm not going to watch it because I'd like to imagine that he's still being a bit grouty in it and he's the only character in the whole thing who has a colour TV. I saw Tony Stephen just recently in an episode of The Sweeney playing opposite Colin Jeevans. In that role, he, he seemed much more comfortable because he wasn't, of course, he wasn't stepping into anybody else's shoes. Imagine, for example, heaven forbid, if they had to recast Grouty in Porridge. Well, the thing is, is that Peter Vaughn's only in three episodes of Porridge. Indeed, he's one of those people that you think is in a lot more. I think like David Jason is Blanco. I think he's in, is it two episodes that he's in? It's only two that I can think of. Same applies to Ronald Lacey. I think he's only in a wee handful of episodes. But again, through repetition... You just sort of imagine that all these different characters are in there at all times. Brian Glover, he's only in three episodes. We've spoken about him before in terms of when we had the conversation with DCT about characters who disappear for no apparent reason. Brian Glover is in the first two episodes of Porridge and then the final one of that series and then you never see him again. And yet he's a central character when it comes to the first episode. He's one of the three faces you see right at the start, so... Okay, I'll throw another one in your direction. And this one I'm going to give as an example of one which has, I suppose you would say, collateral damage. An unusual situation because normally when we talk about these things, you are looking at person replaced by person. In the case of... What? (laughs) Are we going to have person replaced by gas? Person replaced by Madison Smoked Sausage. No, right. <laughs> what do you think, Freddy the Sausage? I agree, It's not Freddy. the same. The Live Birds had already undergone cast change early on. After a few series of... This is just an excuse to start talking about Teabag. I never mentioned Teabag. I never know your mentioned... mind. Well, now you mention it. I actually had something that I was going to say about Teabag, and I thought, no, I always mention Teabag, and I thought, no, I'll leave it out this time. But if we're going to if we're going to bring Teabag into it, if we're going to crowbar it in at your request, then I'll just say right now, Teabag is one of those shows which I associate with cast changes and the disappointment that comes from them, 
because myself and I ex- expect a lot of people listen to this show. I was an avid reader, Radio Times, TV Times, and you always get that terrible sense of disappointment when you see a new series of something that you like is coming back. Oh, look, Wednesday, whenever the hell it is, there it is there, new series it says in TV Times. You look at it in the cast list, and then you notice that your favourite name is missing. Boo. Or, if you haven't already seen the cast list, you twig within the first two or three minutes via some clunky dialogue that your favourite particular performer isn't coming back. And it's just one of those things that you, you have to accept, but I'd like to see them put a word in the dictionary for exactly the sense of disappointment that comes from discovering that a certain cast member is no longer going to be appearing in the new series of your favourite show. Shall we do this as a competition? <laughs> okay. Right. Anybody who couldn't think of... It's got to be a word that is not already in usage. So it's going to be a newly invented word. And we'll choose which one we like the most. And whichever one we like the most, we will start using this. And we'll use it as a hashtag and so on. Because that's how the words get into the dictionary these days. So that's what we'll do. Please give us a word for the sense of disappointment that you get when you realise that your favourite cast member is not going to be appearing in the new series of your favourite show go and then tweet us with it at the sitcom club and we will pick our favorite one and we will then start using that from then on and our task is to get that in the OED. Live birds. Polly James leaves. She marries Jonathan Lynn's character and she's then replaced the following series by Elizabeth Essenson. Now again another example of character traits not being matched by the new character so Elizabeth Essenson's character she's got a bit more about her in terms of being streetwise she's younger than Sandra and yet in certain areas she's more knowledgeable and Sandra's impressed by this so you're not having a a like-for-like comparison but the point I was going to make about this was that of course when Polly James leaves I was going to say this in the style of bagpuss when Polly James leaves all our family leave with her but it's true when Polly James leaves, of course, we've got then no reason to see Sheila Fay or any of our other family members. And that kind of thing, of course, that can happen when a particular character, or a particular actor rather, decides to leave a series, that it can have an impact on other people. I mean, Well, we're kind of back to Citizen Smith there, though, aren't we? Doesn't his girlfriend leave, but it's like, oh, well, I tell you what, I'm moving with my ex-girlfriend's parents. Which is an odd situation, you have to say. It's not something that... I can't imagine that's happened too many times in the real world. (laughs) That's an awkward situation. And you might have thought in that particular situation that they would have simply recast Shadow Hall with someone else. Because it does seem to put quite a major spanner in the the works in terms of the whole web of character relationships. So I'm going to throw over to yourself now for another recast. I can't think of any, at least not any sitcom ones. You don't want me to talk about Mr. Rose after all. Mr. Rose is not a sitcom. It is a highly humorous mystery drama. And first series... Okay, sorry, I said I wasn't going to talk about it, so back to sitcoms. No, we'll talk about it. You've started, okay. so you're finished. Well, Mr. Rose is a spin-off of a spin-off. Initially, there's a series called The Odd Man, which I believe stars Edwin Richfield. After a couple of series, the antagonist policeman is replaced by William Mervyn as Inspector Rose. Somebody somewhere decides that the odd man with Edwin Richfield has now been completely outclassed by its supporting cast, so it then becomes a show called It's Dark Outside with William Mervyn as Inspector Rose and Keith Barron as his sergeant. I think Keith Barron was actually in The Odd Man before William Mervyn was. Keith Barron gets replaced after one series with Anthony Ainley of It's Dark Outside. After that, somebody somewhere says, well, Mr Rose, he's no longer in the police force, he's retired. He's writing his memoirs, but he still solves crimes. So it's a nice little setup. There's him, there's his sidekick manservant, there's something mysterious in his past, which gets revealed at the end of the first series, and his secretary. It's a nice little three-part setup. One series, the secretary goes, vanishes, between series. And then at the end of the second series, his sidekick's gone as well, and has been replaced by a suspiciously similar substitute, who is for the first couple of appearances, quite obviously working off somebody else's script and doesn't really get his own feel for the character until he's sort of two episodes into a five-episode series. So that's an example. It's not a recast, it's a substitution. When you say working off someone else's scripts... I imagine all five were probably written for Donald Webster as John Halifax and they end up being Eric Wolf as Robert Trent. But after a couple of episodes, 
he somehow manages to find his own way of playing the character and then it's over you just remind me when you said there about the new actor sort of having to work from a script initially written with the predecessor in mind probably the most overt example of that is with charles hawtrey in the carry-ons in carry-on girls jimmy logan is playing a character which you think clearly would be played by Charles Hawtrey and probably would have been if he'd still been involved. But there was an earlier instance of it. The story, everybody knows the story about Charles Hawtrey complaining to Peter Rogers about his billing in the Carry On team and how Peter Rogers always famously said the title, the Carry On title, is the star of the series. And Charles Hawtrey famously gave Peter Rogers an ultimatum and said, I shall be in this particular restaurant and I shall await your phone call to confirm that I'm going to get the billing that I want. And the phone call never came. Charles Hawtrey was just left, sat there, contemplating his carry-on-less future. And in the meantime, they had a Christmas show to record called Carry-On Stuffing, went out in 1972. And Norman Rossington was drafted in to replace Charles Hawtrey and is given all of Charles Hawtrey's parts and his lines and he does a great job with it but so late was the recasting that if you care to peruse the Christmas 1972 TV times the artwork for the show actually has Charles Hawtrey in it that's how late this happened so you start off on page four oh look it's Charles Hawtrey and by the time you get to page 79 or whatever it is hang on He's no longer in the programme, so in the space of 70 pages, Charles Hawtrey's been sacked. But a few more examples, going back to the land of sitcom. I was going to give a couple of examples now of situations where, because of a recasting, you see a particular character or that particular character's position sort of fall backwards in terms of grand scheme of things. For example, Walker, the spiv, James Beck in Dad's Army. When James Beck passed away, they did not attempt to recast that character, obviously. Not on television. They did on the radio, didn't they? Oh, now this is something that's passed me by. Who is this? Who did they get on the radio? Um, on the radio, James Beck is replaced with Graham Stark until Larry Martin takes over. Right. Now, what year was this? Ah, uh, the radio adaptation starts 74. January 74. Oh, James Beck died in August of 73. I guess the situation there would be that they are restaging scripts which have previously been performed on the television and so in that case yeah i wasn't aware of that that's interesting i'd like to hear a few of those shows i suspect that they'll probably be doing the rounds on radio 4 extra see of course graham stark just passed away just a few weeks ago i'll need to track some of them down like to hear that but certainly as far as the television series was concerned they didn't make any attempt to recast private walker per se they did draft in telephone thomas who i mentioned last week on the show as private cheeseman He's supposed to be this newspaper reporter who's then embedded with the Home Guard. But he's not really given the same prominence as James Beck would have been as a full member of the cast. So they've brought in the extra person. And actually, he doesn't stay beyond that one series. And the rumours were that supposedly John Laurie was not best pleased about this newcomer getting all the laughs. (laughs) So the story goes. That's an example of another person being brought in and yet they can't be brought in at exactly the same level. Like, for example, when Bill Owen passed away, or obviously we're going to be talking about Last of Summer Wine shortly, when Bill Owen passed away, Bill Owen's son, Tom Owen, comes into the show. But again, he's an extra hand as part of the, the cast, but he's not going to have the same billing as his father. Of course, I haven't even mentioned the most obvious example when it comes to recasting, that of Are You Being Served? I've mentioned that a few times in recent weeks, so I didn't want to focus on that too much, but of course that underwent many, many cast changes over its 11 years in production. And again, another example, same with James Beck, Telephone Thomas, when Mike Betty took over from Trevor Bannister, you don't really see Mr. Spooner quite as prominently as Mr. Lucas. And again, with all of these things, you've got, even if it's not spoken, even if you take the Peter Rogers approach, that the title's higher than any one particular performer, you've still got length of service to bear in mind. So it is going to put people's noses out of joint if a particular actor near the top of the pecking order leaves and then somebody else comes in and just takes their spot and suddenly they're at the top of the tree. That's potentially going to cause ill-feeling eruptions and so on. Before we get to actually recasting 
characters themselves. So one actor replaced by another for the same character. A couple of last little notes on the subject of new characters coming in to replace old characters. One example which completely screws with the system, so to speak, is Rosan, where Lecky Goranson leaves and is replaced by Sarah Chalk. Then after a few series, Lecky Goranson returns to the role, and yet there are some times when she's unavailable, so you actually have two different actors playing the same role in the same series. And at one point in a little post-final commercial break piece, little montage, you actually have the two of them playing off each other. It's just a big piss take, basically. <laughs> They're saying, look, you know what we had to recast, we know, so we might as well have some fun for what the hell. I can't think of any examples of any British sitcoms doing that, but Ocho, can you think of anything that comes even close to that? I can't, no. Just once I'd like to hear a character say something like, oh, you look slightly different. Oh, look, at my notes in front of me, I've got just that example. Wasn't that a fantastic segue? <laughs> I, should have been on, I should have been on Pebble Mill at one. The sequel to Second Thoughts, Faith in the Future, with Linda Bellingham and Julia Sawala. In the first series, you have a character called Jules, played by Rupert Penry Jones. In the second and third series, he is played by Simon Pegg. I think it was Simon Pegg's first prominent role and full-time role in the sitcom. This is about three years before Spaced. And as I recall it, I think Hannah actually does say to Jules, oh, you've changed your hair, or something to that effect, because Rupert Penry Jones had fairly long dark hair, and Simon Pegg, his hair looked as it looks now. And that's that's about the only example I can actually think of of somebody just acknowledging something like that. I'm sure there'll be others. There's bound to be others. And I think once I've waded my way through this 27 gig pack of American Christmas sitcoms... Well, there's Mystery Science Theatre 3000, where they already recast Servo, and that gets a little in-universe explanation that he's having a different voice installed. But when later on, when they recast Crow... In the opening titles, he goes, I'm different. <laughs> and there's just one brief line where it says, you're different, but a thousand years have passed between series, so. I just remembered now, actually, that the first episode of Razan where Sarah Chalk appears as Becky, they do actually have a little in-joke at the end of it, so they do acknowledge it in their own way. And didn't they do that in Brookside with one character coming back going, oh, well, everything looks the same. I don't recall. I was never a Brookside viewer. I mean, you said to me on... Skype just before we started the recording when I mentioned that we were going to address this question and your reply was home and away. That's just because of the example you mentioned that didn't really happen. Well, yes, indeed. And if you don't remember that, you're going to have to hunt for that in the archives. I'm not going to repeat myself here because people who remember it, they're going to say, oh, he's not going to tell that story about Pepper again, is he? So, no, you're going to go hunting in the archives for that. But I'm sure there's plenty of other examples. It must have happened in Neighbours and all sorts, surely. One that tickles me a little bit is Terry and June in the office... You've got the boss played by. Oh, I thought you were going to mention Marsh. the fact that Terry and June is the same characters with different names. That's like the inverse, isn't it? Really, you cast the same actors as the same people. You just change the surnames. Well, that's the the Nelly situation, of course, isn't it? Because that's what happened between the Earth and the Earth, and not your Nelly again. That was uh, it's it's a sequel, but it's not a sequel for official legal reasons. But in Terry and June, you've got Terry's in the office, his boss Reginald Marsh, and his colleague is Malcolm who is there throughout all nine series, and is played by three actors in the course of those nine series. And the interesting thing is that as the years go by, Malcolm gets younger. Initially, he's played by Terence Alexander, first couple of series. For the bulk of the series, for about five years or so, he's played by Tim Barrett. And then for the last couple of series, he's played by John Quayle. So as time gets on, I'd love to have just had just once Terry say some throwaway comment like, Do you know, Malcolm, you seem to be looking younger and younger every day. Are you using Beatty's oil of Eulay or something like that? But the really weird thing about this, this is the only example that I can think of, and please tweet us and let us know if you can think of a similar case. An example of an actor leaving a show and coming back as a different person after their own character has been recast so Tim Barrett leaves at the end of series 7 John Quayle is now portraying Malcolm for those last couple of series and yet in one episode of series 9 Tim Barrett is there again but this time he's playing a butler, he's got nothing to do with Malcolm 
And again, I need to go back and look at the episode. I really hope that just fleetingly Teddy says something like, that bottle looks strangely familiar. I can't quite place him. I'm sure I've seen him before somewhere. But I don't think he does. I don't think there's anything like that. It's the only example I can think of, of that type. A couple of last ones in this particular category. A couple of examples of not recasting someone when they leave. George Layton in Rainer Potmom. And I think there's fleeting reference to him simply. I think he's been demobbed or whatever it may be. And also Richard Beckinsale in... Rising Damp. And this is one which is is often misreported because a lot of people, you see it in newspaper articles and so on. People say, oh, the last series of Rising Damp wasn't as good when Richard Beckinsale died. Richard Beckinsale actually left Rising Damp. He left to make Bloomers on the BBC, which was shown posthumously when they completed five out of the six episodes. But that's actually why he was not in the last series of Rising Damp. He did actually leave the show in 19... 78. And in that case, you've got fleeting reference from Philip about Avalon having left, and you've got other characters who come in on a sort of one-off basis. You've got Peter Jeffrey comes in for one episode and so on, but you don't have one single person coming to take his place. And the last couple of examples with regard to replacing a character with a different character, a couple of them in a low low. In the case of Jack Hake's character, Roger Leclerc, when Jack Hay passed away, they effectively replaced his character with the same character, but not quite. They were trying to be respectful, and they weren't simply replacing him with another character, because, you know, everybody knows Jack Hay's passed away. Very much beloved actor, so in order to have the, the setup pretty much as it was, they replaced Roger Leclerc with his brother, Ernest Leclerc, who was initially played by... Derek Royal, and then later on by Robin Parkinson. They had a slightly convoluted explanation as to why suddenly Roger wasn't there, but his brother was, and it was some business about he tried to get his brother out of prison and ended up swapping places, whatever it may be. And coincidentally, whereas Roger Leclerc had his childhood sweetheart, Madame Fanny, there, also his brother, Ernest, was also her childhood sweetheart as well. So it was, you know, a little bit sort of trying to tie up loose ends and make it all palatable and so on. But the the effect is that unless you've actually seen that specific episode where they've explained everything, then if you just suddenly catch one episode to another, you might think, oh, they've simply recast. I just remembered a recasting that I haven't mentioned so far. Series 4 of I Didn't Know You Cared. (laughs) Bert Palmer, as Uncle Stavely, is replaced by Leslie Sarony. Sarony, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And they're nothing alike. I mean, I think the thing about Uncle Stavely is there's possibly that he's, he's shell-shocked. He's supposed to carry his best friend's ashes around with him. He's always shaking. He's never sure where he is. And his catchphrase is, I heard that, pardon. And we're not prepared. <laughs> I, I wasn't prepared anyway. The series four, this guy strides on very confidently. <laughs> goes, I heard that, pardon. <laughs> we will tackle, I didn't know you cared. Definitely, one of these definitely. Well, of course, this is a good point in the proceedings to actually answer G's question, because she asks, do you think cast changes in sitcom work as a rule? Now, looking back at all those examples that we've just given, before we get on to actor changes as such, I think for the majority of them, quite often these things are forced upon the script writers. And I think we're probably, looking back at this list here, we've probably got maybe a probably got a 60-40 split in terms of characters changing for dramatic reasons, you'd say, and because simply because an actor left. But I think in the majority of cases, as long as it's well handled and as long as the explanation is not too convoluted, and I'm going to give an example in a second of one which is quite ridiculous, then I get, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just an accepted part of the genre. Oh, that wasn't the question. The question wasn't can they work. It's as a rule, do they work? And I'm going to say as a rule, they don't. But it's only on balance, that generally they upset things more often than not. A lot of these series, I think it's probably true to say that a lot of these series go on longer than the story would normally allow. Down to popularity, they want the series to come back. People enjoy it. And when you have a character change, then quite often that can liven things up and keep things interesting. Whereas things may get stale if you've still got exactly the same cast of characters that you started with, say, ten years ago. Also, I would say that in regard to, say, workplace sitcoms, that is how workplaces are. 
you don't ordinarily get a situation where a workplace opens and a cast of or a group of employees come in and then 10 years down the line they close the doors and everybody's still there and then they all leave you know people leave and come and go and so on and that's just natural part of things so why shouldn't that be reflected in a long-running sitcom yeah but the question is not are they justifiable can they work it's as a rule they mess things up yeah well i suppose you're right on balance yes it's awkward i think it sometimes it will just come down to how well it's handled you could argue that all the examples that we're giving here, well, not all the examples, but a lot of the examples that we're giving, we remember these particularly because, for one reason or another, they stand out, which isn't necessarily a good thing. It should be really as seamless as possible. It should just be a straightforward transition. Like you said, for example, somebody's married, they've left, and, and, and that's it. Brief explanation, there you are. Whereas the last note I had in this particular section was auto flick changing from Richard Gibson to David Jansen. And the explanation that they give is that Otto's had plastic surgery. <sighs> just no. Just change. Just change the actor and say nothing. <laughs> Why did they say that? That he just went off in a spaceship for six million years and came back. <laughs> in that case, if it's going to be that bloody convoluted. The second part of G's question was: Do you think it works when a character undergoes an actor change? Now, G cites Goodnight Sweetheart, and obviously. I'm a big fan of that show. I'm not really a big fan of... Hey, I've had a fantastic idea. Oh? Simon Cadell leaves Heidi High. Selena Cadell. Okay. It's a novel move. It's not one which I think has previously been attempted. That fraternal resemblance is just enough to carry it across the line, I think. Okay. This hasn't happened before, has it? No. Everybody who's listened to this podcast knows I'm a big fan of Goodnight Sweetheart. I think most people are familiar with my horrible horrible idea for series seven which i won't go into at this stage but i think i'd actually like to to do that as a full-on podcast for yourself i show perhaps i'll write fan fiction in which the evil sparrow reveals himself as the megalomaniac that we all know that he is and a man who's i'll be honest about it a man whose voracious sexual appetite knows no bounds but that's hardly appropriate for a half past eight on a monday night on bbc one so is going to have to also move to a later slot, say 12.25am. Anyway, good night, sweetheart. Halfway through, you've got a big old change. And I think actually it helps the fact that you've got that dual change. I think it would have upset things a bit more if just Phoebe or Yvonne had been recast, but both are recast. Ocho, what are your thoughts? Do you have any particular thoughts about the topic as a whole, or even in the case of Goodnight Sweetheart, because this is a nice example of actually happening, and you know, it, it, it works in terms of, you've got free series there, you've got free series here, so it's not like something that's been done right at the tail end. In the, in terms of Goodnight Sweetheart, it worked. I think because one character, you know, Gary's present-day wife could be downplayed a little. Wouldn't have to be quite the same presence that his 1940s wife was. But no, it just worked because I did. I did watch Goodnight Sweetheart pretty much from beginning to end at the time, and that managed not to kick up too much dust. I actually prefer Elizabeth Carling's Phoebe to Devlin Kerwin's. It's close run thing, but I think that Elizabeth Carling, I think she plays it slightly softer. I think that sometimes Devlin Kerwin can she sometimes can come across as a little bit hard edged, and we understand why because we've we've seen what she's been through and the fact that she's been put into a situation of having to run the pub herself and so on. So you can understand that. But as time goes on, yeah, she has a slightly softer way about her in terms of her personality. I do prefer Yvonne. The difference, I would say, between Michelle Holmes and Emma Amos, and I think you're right, Ocho, that Yvonne's character is sort of played down a little bit, particularly in those last couple of series, and I think that there is, without giving any spoilers away, I think there is a reason why that's the case. But Michelle Holmes... Her Yvonne, I think she's got a little bit more of a twinkle in her eye when it comes to her put-downs and the way that she converses with Gary and so on. She can pretty much get away with saying just about anything to Gary and you sort of know that she doesn't really mean it and you know that she loves him really and that's just the relationship that they've got. Do you think they shake it up a little as well to make Gary nicer, to give him a wife worth cheating on, make his marriage you know, not that great? Again, without giving too much away about the conclusion of the whole series, certainly by the time you get to Yvonne, the superwoman, when she's the 
the big entrepreneur and she's meeting Tony Blair and flying off here, there and everywhere and so on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly established that Yvonne, as far as we understand, does not need Gary in the same way that Phoebe needs Gary. And there was a slight hint there that sometimes Yvonne will take Gary for granted. It's still not justifying Gary being a two-timing, two-faced bastard, but it still lessens the blow somewhat. And yeah, cause she, I mean, if Yvonne was a doting wife and she just could not imagine life without Gary, and then turns out that actually he's been playing away and what have you, yeah, that could be catastrophic. Certainly for sitcom character anyway. Bread. My memory was, was that was the point at which Bread stopped being the sitcom juggernaut and became a very popular show. The Boswell stopped being Britain's favourite family, whatever junk they put in the press releases. Because, I mean, it was in the news, the recasting, and I just recall it, the momentum was lost. I'm not saying, I'm guessing it kept going for several more series, but re- replacing Joey Boswell with a Madison sausage... <laughs> No matter how often they waved it, the only time it worked was that 3D episode. If you're not going to take risks. Uh, and Michael Rod, you know, he was having a whale of a time with it, wasn't he? <laughs> but no, I think you're right that my memory is that Jilly Coleman being replaced by Melanie Hill in the role of Aveline. I think that that in itself is enough of a shift to put some people's noses out of joint. But I think that the principal recasting was Peter Howard being replaced by Graham Bickley in the role of Joey. Now, and especially in your first few series, I mean, Joey is supposed to be the guy along with Ma Boswell who's really keeping the family together. And he's got a lovely way of being cheeky and being forthright and authoritarian with his family and yet they don't all want to deck him you know he, he's still he's still nice about it and they like him and he's able to then pull off that trick of being simultaneously a nice guy and also getting things done he doesn't have to choose and when he's replaced by graham bickley i mean obviously he's doing the best that he can with it but yeah it, it really feels like something is different here i mean the first thing i ever thought when i saw it was Clearly this guy is not blonde. <laughs> and this is either a dye job or it's a piece. And I thought for a start, well, that that's throwing things out. But it loses a lot because Peter Howard just had that nice, cheeky, but likeable way about him. And it, it's not the same after the recasting at all. couple of last examples. The aforementioned Tony Selby and get some in. The last series of that, Robert Lindsay has gone to the Beeb to play Wolfie Smith. And so... Jake is recast as Carl Homan. And again, similar situation to some of those that we described earlier on, the role is not quite as prominent as it was. He's still a member of the group, and he's still the same kind of character, but yet, you know, he's not going to quite be up there with Robert Lindsay's building because Robert Lindsay's already done four series of it. And of course, keeping up appearances. Keeping up appearances, initially Rose was Shirley Stell Fox, who I think... To this day, I think she's still in Emmerdale. And she was replaced after the first series by Mary Miller. For some reason, I've written on my notes here, ask Ocho to imagine, for one episode only, if Clive Swift had been replaced with David Swift with no prior notification or reason given. David Swift is Clive Swift's brother, and probably you'd know him best for his role in Drop the Dead Donkey. Oh really? I mean, you bounce have seen him in loads of films. Oh dramas. yeah, definitely. Must have been in tons oh, of stuff. Right. Yeah, that so, makes sense now. Just for the hell of it, just for one week, no explanation given, no reason, nothing in the script whatsoever. It just happens to be David Swift <laughs> this week, and they've just given him a quick tash. Just you know, <laughs> stuck it on. That's causing something to scratch in the back of my mind. I can think somewhere in my mind there is a case of an actor being replaced and then coming back. Isn't that a weird situation in the Flintstones when Mel Blanc was sick and his Barney's voice changes radically? Do you know what? I remember that and I've never... I've, I mean, I remember now that you've mentioned it, but I remember seeing it on BBC once and thinking, what the hell's wrong with Barney? And wondering, was there going to be anything in the show itself to actually explain why Barney sounds different? And there wasn't. And you've just reminded me of it now. So was that was that what it was? Was, was Mel Blanc was he ill when that was being made? Doors Butler took over. 
But I think Mel Blanc came back. The, the thing being, Doss Butler does a completely different voice. Doss Butler is probably second only to Mel Blanc in the terms of voice actor Olympics. And yet he makes absolutely no attempt. And was he there for a long time? Because I only remember this happening Well, once. Wikipedia says briefly. I need to track some of these down. Because no, I just I do remember seeing it once and thinking it was actually part of the, the episode. I thought there was something wrong with Barney's voice. I thought that was part of the plot. But there's something else in my brain somewhere about somebody being replaced and then being replaced back. I just wish I could bring it to mind. Well, there you go. That's for that's for, for the outstanding business next time. Well, to answer your question, G, I mean, you asked, do you think it works when a character undergoes an actor change? Ocho, what do you think, based upon the examples that we've given? Generally, no. I'm going to agree with you on that. I think that, again, it's something that happens more often than not. It's going to be something that happens against the, the wishes of the scriptwriters, but... Yeah, they've got to make the best of it. And the last note I actually had in front of me here, a very curious example, is Hancock's Half Hour. Beginning of the second series on the radio, Tony Hancock was having a few problems at the time and he suddenly dashed off to Rome without any prior notice given to Galton Simpson. And this resulted in, I think it's the first three episodes, Hancock being replaced by Harry Seacombe. But yet the show's still called Hancock's Half Hour. Oh, is it? So, yeah, rather strange. I've seen affairs. a reference to it being called Harry's Half Hour. Oh, really? I, I, I thought that I'd heard... That could just be a nickname thought up by the person who was writing the essay I was reading. Right. Because I thought I'd heard an intro previously of the announcer saying, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Hancock's Half Hour starring Harry Seacombe. And, and just sort of I'm not it. sure if any of the, if even that much exists, though. So it might be a reproduction on a documentary that's been a bit fast and loose, if anybody knows. I don't think any of the Harry Seacombe Hancocks exist. Oh. Okay, we'll need to track these down. And obviously I didn't mention in all of this conversation, so thank you very much indeed for your questions, G. I haven't mentioned in any of this conversation Last of Summer Wine, because I think if we were to sit here and recite all the different cast changes in Last of Summer Wine, then we'd still be here in 2014. But suffice to say, in a show that goes on for 35 years, you can have some cast changes. So as predicted, we have ended up with a dual-length episode. We have spent so long talking about recastings and so on that we're actually going to make this a show all by itself. So you've got an extra show this week. Wahey. And we will be back, before you know it, with the advertised sitcom club talking about the 1983 Christmas special of Last of the Summer Wine getting Sam home. But for the meantime, Ocho, thank you very much, and we will see you again on the sitcom club. We need an end of part one stage. With two old ladies getting up and walking off. Ba-da-da-da-ba-da-ba-da!